Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello, I'm Alex Grodnick, and you're listening to the Wall Street Oasis podcast, a podcast about breaking into the world of finance, along with interviews with those who have. I'm here today with Andres Engel. Andres and I became friends when we were both working in investment banking. He's got an MBA from HBS and is a pretty smart and fun guy. So without further ado, let's get into it. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Well, thank you for having me, Alex. Yeah, thanks for being here. So why don't you just walk us through you know, your background, like undergrad, where you grew up, business school, that, that type of stuff. Sure. Originally from Chile, I uh, grew up in South America. Uh, my dad was in cattle raising and soybean brokerage. So I was moving from country to country. Most of the time spent out in the, on the countryside, but going to school in the capital cities. Ended up uh, going to U Miami in Florida because I had family there for my undergrad. Did it in finance and accounting. Of course, the natural step was to go to New York after that, uh, become an investment banker. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed back in 05. Did that for three years. Um, ever since year one, I knew that I wanted to do an MBA. I knew that just working in finance, either on the sell side where I began or moving to the buy side, was not the end-all be-all for me as a person. I actually enjoyed uh, working with people, empowering teams, and I wanted to be a better communicator and facilitator. So uh, with that in mind, I decided not to pursue the buy side, as most, most of my peers did at the time, and I applied to HBS. I was lucky enough to get in, had two incredible years there in Boston. However, uh, it was the worst of times in the finance world, as you know. It was 2008 to 2010, and at that point in time, we just didn't know where the finance world was going. I was lucky enough to get sponsored by Morgan Stanley to go back for two years. So my commitment was to go back. They paid for my school, ended up going back. Within those two years, I got an opportunity to come out west, uh, which was great for someone like me that I lived in Miami, lived in New York, lived in Boston, but never got to experience California. Moved here for a few months, ended up loving it. Actually reminds me a lot of growing up and, and living in South America, just being outdoors, the weather, friendly people, uh, laid back environment, and ended up staying. So completed my two years, and after that, ended up staying one more year, became a vice president of Morgan Stanley. But with that in mind, I knew that it was time for me to leave because I didn't want to pursue the stereotypical banking path, which was becoming a salesperson, right, as a managing director, as you know. And I found a job at a hedge fund starting a family office for a hedge fund manager and, and starting a growth equity fund for him within that family office. I've been there for two years now and couldn't be happier. I'm applying my 
management skills that I picked up at HBS, my finance and process management that I got in banking, as, as well as you have. Like, I think that's our strongest skill that we pick up in banking, just being able to operate in uncomfortable environments when they're tight time, timelines and deadlines. So you just have to figure stuff out. And now I'm doing that for different companies and helping entrepreneurs grow their business and empower their teams. Right. So you went to business school to HBS during the good old days when companies paid for you to go to business school. And then what, you had to give them two years after school? That's right. Uh, well, good old days. I think I was the last person that they actually did that for. Uh, <laughs> lucky you. <laughs> because, well, lucky me or I spoiled it for everyone. But I think it was uh, more more than anything timing. Um, I got that offer in 2007, which is when I got to business school. I got into HBS and 08 came. And of course, the bank was in survival mode at that point And they stopped any charitable or uh, uh, programs know, like that. I don't call it charity. <laughs> it's they're, they're investing in the bright future. Yeah, that's right. But it was a tougher environment too. Okay, so you came out of uh, business school and they were like, there's a spot open in LA. You never went to New York, right? After school? I did go for a year. So I was in New York for a year. Uh, that's when I got more exposure to the media group. And the media group had a big presence in LA because of the studios, right. the different companies and gaming and leisure. So casino gaming and leisure. That was also part of the media group in LA. So that's the group we're actually landed in Okay. Uh, once I got here. So you came out here working in this little Morgan Stanley office. It's kind of a powerhouse office in, of investment banks go in LA. And you were doing these gaming and leisure companies, a lot of them based in Vegas and, mm -hmm. and raising capital and merging and acquiring one. Uh, and so uh, what were you thinking at that point? Sure. At that point, the newness of being in California, of being in a smaller team, as you know, Morgan Stanley is a huge company, right? At the time it had 55,000 employees. Uh, but being in a small team within, the, within that big company uh, felt better for me, for my personality too. I was not uh, reporting to multiple individuals. I was working directly for the head of the coverage practice or the head of the region who covered San Francisco here and anything west of the Rockies, actually. So that was pretty nice. And I've always felt better, I think, working for the person who's making the decisions or being close to that because you can feel the impact that your work has, right? It's not that you're churning things. And at the end of the day, you just sit back and wait for something to happen. It's you have a voice when you're talking to them. You get to influence um, the decision making process and you're close to the clients when we're actually going to meetings because there's no one else in between you and that person. Right. Right. So you did your associate years. You became a VP, which for a lot of people would be you know, awesome. That's their goal. They're moving up the ladder. And, and then you were thinking, what, I want to do something else at this point. Yeah, I got very antsy, I think, when the two years were done, my two-year commitment, right? Mm -hmm. That's when I started getting antsy. But I'm always very open and honest with the people I work with. So I had a conversation with the head of the region at the time. And I told him, like, and he knew that my two years were up. So I told him that I didn't see myself as an investment banker, as a managing director five years down the line or six years down the line at that point. And he was reassuring. He told me that I shouldn't worry about those things, that right now I'm, I was doing a great job and I, I was engaged. I was contributing to the office and to the team by working closely with the associates, the analysts. But in my heart, I knew that that was not the job that I wanted for me. And I've always struggled with that because being a finance and accounting undergrad major, 
you're kind of forced into this track, right? I had a couple options. One, back in the day, I think now it's opened up quite a lot uh, for people graduating from school, right? But back in the day, my options were being an investment banker, which was seen as being cream of the crop, right? Within your class, you could have gone and worked for a company in FP&A or strategy, which was middle of the road. Or you could have gone to being an accounting major, could have gone and become an auditor or a tax accountant, which was not um, in my personality either. So at that point, just being a go-getter and trying to prove people things and prove myself that I could do it, I went for the top and I decided to become an investment banker. But as I told you in the beginning of this conversation, as soon as I got there, I realized that continuing on that path of doing what was expected of me versus what I wanted to do was not for me. And it was not something that I wanted to keep pursuing for the rest of my life, right? The way I saw it was like peeling onions. When I was in high school, all you needed to do was get into a great undergrad. And I had like to impress your peers, to impress your parents, to impress your teachers. Uh, once you got into a good undergrad, like you had to get that kick-ass job, right? So then I was always like trying to peel that onion, but it felt that it had endless layers that you would have to go in and go and go, go into. And at the end of the day, I didn't want to find myself uh, trying to impress others versus trying to do what was right for me. Right. So you make vice president. What kind of stuff were you looking at? What was at the, at the center of this onion? What did you want to do? Yeah. Uh, deep down, I knew that I wanted to work closer to business operations, right? Um, usually when I was in banking in the beginning, people would see working in-house as taking the easy road. Like you were not working 90 hour weeks. You were not, um, expecting that huge bonus. Right. Right. But I just knew that I loved that part of the job, actually sitting down, understanding what the, the individuals in the team had to do, how they're going to do it, try to optimize that piece and being there day to day to course correct, right? Not just coming in, doing a project and then leave, letting them be and not knowing what happened afterwards. Right, like how you work on transactions in banking versus actually being deeply involved in something and seeing it grow. I mean, that's very fulfilling. That's right. And it was just being closer to the action in a way that, that you could empower the team to grow with you teach them things, but learn from them too, right? Right. So you probably looked at companies, you looked at investment funds that own companies. So what? Where'd you, where'd you end up at? Yeah. So I actually left my job without having another job. So I took a couple months just to think about what the right place for me was at that point in time to pursue what I wanted to do. Uh, I looked at a bunch of options, as you mentioned. I looked at companies. I, I knew I wanted to stay in LA. So I looked at, that made my search easier because it limited geographically, right? Which I always suggest that people do that when they're looking for jobs sometimes, right? It's like choose where you want to live or choose what industry you want to pursue and then look at that versus when you're coming out of the MBA. And I had this problem too, right? Although I didn't have the freedom to go and get another job based on my commitments. But when I was exploring different things just to know where I wanted to go, I was looking at everything and anything. So I exhausted myself just going to receptions, going to presentations, going to some interviews just to get to meet the people and see how their day-to-day -day job was, which was very helpful and instructive, right? Just to know how they thought, how they communicated, what they actually did. Rather than reading it online, you were talking to the people doing it day in and day out. But um, sometimes being too scattered just doesn't help you. Right. And at some point you have to focus. You have to focus. You have to know what's right for you. You have to know what path you want to pursue. And 
having less options sometimes helps you helps you a ton, right? Yeah, people people don't love numerous options. It's we're much happier when you have your A or B, yeah. or, or even just A. Yeah, that's true. So, where did you? What do you do now? Right. So, after talking to a bunch of people uh, within my network within those two months, uh, exploring different avenues, I ended up getting connected to the hedge fund manager that I'm working for now. Mm-hmm. He had a great idea to create a platform for his family office uh, from scratch. So he didn't want to hire someone super senior that had, had done it before that would uh, not only be a huge expense for him, but would bring along some baggage of his own, right? So more or less think along the lines, do things that way they were done rather than think creatively, um, cut corners maybe if there were any to be cut and try to implement and execute that platform in a short period of time. He ended up looking at senior people. He ended up looking at more junior people, but he landed on myself because he thought that I was hardworking. I was a smart guy. I was willing to put in the effort to get it done. Although I didn't quite have that experience, he, uh, he, he trusted that I was going to ramp up fairly quickly. And that I give it to him because I don't think there's a lot of people, if you have other listeners within school, right, that are willing to give you the benefit of the doubt later in your career. As soon as you leave business school, I think it's a lot of employers such as consulting firms, banking firms, um, startups are willing to give you that benefit of the doubt that you're a smart guy, you're an MBA, you can go in and cut your teeth doing the job that they're hiring you for or learn a skill that you're going to either stay in the company and execute that skill or go somewhere else and build your toolkit. But three, four years post MBA, that becomes harder and harder. Right. Yeah, great. Coming out of school, you get these windows that open up to you that, yeah, allow you to get these jobs where you can cut your teeth. But after that, you do investment banking for a few years, you're an investment banker. You That's do right. Hedge funds for, you're a hedge fund guy. And so it's great that you were able to make that transition and find someone who would trust you. I'm very thankful that I got to meet him and I got that opportunity because as you said, you get pigeonholed, right? And if, if anything, like people should always be giving you that benefit of the doubt and not hiring for just based what you did on your previous job. Because at the end of the day, like, yeah, those people work, but you should also be looking at how they're going to fit with your culture, right? If you're a startup and you're looking for a CFO and you're a small startup, do you want the guy that's done it for 10 years at a multi-million revenue company? Maybe not, right? Because he's used to having systems in place. He's used to having people reporting to him. He might not be as close to the job as someone who's maybe only done it for a year or hasn't done it before but has worked for a CFO but can step up, be hungry enough to do a kick-ass job for you and your company and grow with the company, right? Sure. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So what kind of stuff have you worked on here? Sure. So in the beginning, it was mostly organizational. So setting up the platform, um, seeing like where we needed to make key hires, looking at companies that he had invested in in the past and setting up systems that we could benchmark performance, that we could see his returns, built a portfolio in a sense, not actually deploy the capital, but uh, a vision or a board so we could see where all the things were within his portfolio. So a lot of just like understanding what was where and where we were going to what avenues we're going to pursue based on that. So you'd be surprised. There are a lot of people out there that are fairly accomplished and fairly wealthy, but sometimes we give them credit, more credit that they deserve in terms of like being organized or 
or or like us, right? Like we're both finance guys. And I don't know how your experience was, but mine, when I was an investment banking analyst associate, I didn't have a budget. I I was not very organized in terms of my personal commitments. I was constantly running late. I was making last minute plans. But anything that was work related, I was five minutes early. All my numbers were right. I made sure my presentations had no typos. But when it came to my personal life, I was a completely different person, right? Yeah. So I think a lot of these like accomplished wealthy individuals are the same. When it comes to work, they're great, but in other aspects, it might not be the same. So Yeah, so you're helping get I mean, his life organized, get his business organized. Uh, and so what kind of things were we looking at? Was there like a specific focus or he was just like, here's the world, it's our oyster, let's go find interesting investments? Yeah, the focus, I, I think I mentioned this before too, the focus was growth equity. So he, was, he has been very successful in terms of uh, public equity investing. But the focus was to start investing and getting higher returns on the private side. Right. So looking at earlier stage companies, he had a few cool ideas uh, based on his experience, on his background for companies to start. So we seeded a couple companies from concept all the way to uh, hiring the team, executing on the business plan, creating a budget, benchmarking on that budget and helping them grow the team with key hires, making sure interests were aligned. So I did everything, uh, I would say, from building a business plan getting a budget, getting funding for that budget, doing some talent development, hiring people. Once you hired the people, making sure you're compliant with labor loss, things that I never had to do before in my banking years, right? Making sure that you're compliant with sick leave policies, PTL in California, helping the companies fundraise externally after he had seeded them, right? Because you always want to get validation from other investors, uh, working with them to set up different systems so they could have their accounting in place, their inventories in place, uh, systems and controls, right? Right. So this sounds great. You're able to use your background and find interesting investments and do the diligence from, from your old uh, life. And then your passion of building companies and speaking with people and putting together brands. And uh, so you're kind of merging your your passion and your background. That's right. That's right. It's a, it's a nice marriage of using my finance skills that I've developed over the past eight, nine years and working close to people, trying to manage, although not directly, right, through a dotted line relationship and more as a consultant at times coming in and out, but um, helping them grow their business, like the people that are there, like helping them grow their businesses and build their teams and make sure that they're on the right track. Right. So what businesses have you invested in? We've invested, we started a restaurant concept, a fast casual restaurant in Orange County. We went from the concept to two stores right now. We've invested, we seeded again, the other company we seeded was a software platform for, for human motion assessment. So we worked very closely with a Harvard doctor um, that has specialized for the past two decades in human motion and injury prevention. So he's worked with a who's who in the sports world with Olympians, top um, NFL teams and whatnot. And so he had all the knowledge, but we wanted to transmit, transmit that elite athlete knowledge to the masses. So we're able to build an algorithm, not me, of course, uh, a very smart developer was able to build an algorithm, uh, built the software for that, and then connect to the Microsoft Connect to be able to test people in a high throughput environment. So we're able to test any human uh, in less than 20 minutes and give them a complete uh, map of their body. Meaning if you have strong lower body power, but limited thoracic rotation and you're a tennis player, we can tell you that you have a high possibility of injuring your elbows without measuring your actual elbow, right? So very cool things, uh, opportunities that I had no knowledge in, 
but I had to learn really quickly and I had to immerse myself with people that were very knowledgeable in that space, such as this doctor that I mentioned. I'd gain his trust, get to work with him, and then be able to provide input and add value given my finance experience. So yeah, so these are things, fast casual restaurants, fitness software, these are things that you know nothing about. So how is it that you go about becoming an expert and with enough knowledge to you know, and spend millions of dollars, grow these businesses? How do you do that? It's not hard, right? The trick there is hiring smarter people than you and just connecting with smarter people so than you. So it comes back to the hiring, building teams. Yeah, I saw a quote today. I forget. I, I don't want to ascribe it to myself, but I forget who said it. But it was their motto. I think it was the Cubs, maybe. Their motto was like, hire smart people that hire smarter people that do a great job. Um, that's a trick, right? You go ahead, you partner up with very smart individuals, people that have very different skill sets than you do. And you leverage your skill set, which mine was being a finance guy and a very strong process manager and partner that with someone that has food expertise for the restaurant or partner up with a doctor that has decades of experience with injury prevention and building efficient workout systems right, for these elite athletes. More than anything, just being humble, right? Uh, being humble, bringing an open mind and being an affable person and knowing how to work well with others. If you have that trait, I think people are going to be very willing to open up, share their knowledge, work with you. I think the times have changed a lot since when I started in banking with traits that were desired were being more aggressive, um, drive through walls. There's a lot more in terms of trying to figure out what the impact is, what people care about, how you can empower others to work with you. It's a softer skill set that reaps way more benefits, I think, than being more authoritarian. Right. So when you look back on this career that you're having, do you think the MBA, do you think you'd be here without the MBA? Is it, did it give you the skill sets to be here? Did it give you the soft skills? I mean, did it put you in the right position with the right people? How do you, how do you see the MBA fitting into your life? So I am six years out of my MBA now. When I was going through it, and maybe even the first 12 months post-MBA, I kept asking myself, what am I actually learning in this place, right? Because I came in with finance and accounting knowledge. Right. And I had to work for three years in banking. So half of the courses are finance and accounting. The other courses, at least for the first year, were marketing, um, organizational behavior, slash management. Economics, statistics. E yeah, uh, economics. We didn't have much statistics oh, our first year. <laughs> <laughs> it was a prerequisite, so we had to test out of it. But um, there were only a couple of courses, marketing mostly, that required some p-value testing and things like that. But it wasn't too crazy. Otherwise, I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't have graduated at this point. <laughs> but... Um, so yeah, so half of the, the actual course material I felt comfortable with, but I was able to learn a lot of the other 50%. So I knew nothing about marketing. I knew nothing about organizational behavior. I knew nothing about um, ethics. We had, we were pretty big in ethics at HBS, right? I always thought that you follow the profits, right? I knew nothing about social investing. I knew it existed. I knew that there were several companies out there such as Kiva that would make microloans and and whatnot, but I never knew what a double bottom line meant, right? And how you're actually empowering people to make a change and you could also make a profit out of that and how many companies are playing in that space. It's just something that I hadn't looked into, right? So all these things just open up your mind and more than anything, I, I think being able to be with very different individuals in a concentrated period of time in a very close environment 
made me a better person. So spending two years uh, having high energy discussions with people from all walks of life, right? So individuals that were um, working at corporates, at not-for-profits, starting their own companies, working for the government, some people working in defense, they all bring different skill sets to the table. And when you're discussing a case, uh, such as um, we were talking before we started recording, uh, restructuring, right, or a bankruptcy. So the finance person is like, okay, fire everyone or fire everyone that's not essential, right? Let's see how much the assets are worth. Let's sell them to the, create an auction process. So let's sell it to the, big, to the highest bidder and then try to recoup as much money as we can for the capital structure. But then someone that had actually gone and worked in the auto industry and had seen massive layoffs was like, wait a minute, have you thought about uh, the impact this will have in the town where those factories are located or what impact it will have in tax revenues for the city or what impact it's going to have to the families of these people? And not being close to that and not having seen that, right? Like it's not firsthand experience, but it's secondhand experience, right? And when someone's very passionately telling you their experience, going through a massive layoff, seeing the impact it had in the towns, it just opens up your eyes. And I don't want to sound jaded that I was always in Times Square working at Morgan Stanley, right? But I had seen a lot of the world, but I hadn't experienced that yet. So that makes you a softer, more compassionate person. And it just teaches you lessons right? that it's not always uh, profits that you're chasing, for your personal life, for your decision-making, and even in companies, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's spot on. So most people that work in investing, over time, they start to focus on a specific industry. I mean, I guess you could focus on the asset class of, of growth equity, but do you see yourself moving you know, more towards fast, towards restaurants, towards software? How do you, where do your interests lie? I'm thinking just based on my personality, my skill sets, and my experience having worked uh, with startup companies, I'm focusing more on the consumer side of things. I'm very interested in restaurants. I'm interested in uh, apparel. I'm interested in consumer products. Those products are easy for me to understand, are easy for me to model financially. And I can relate to them in a way that I can't relate to software, for instance. Needless to say, I think software is extremely important, right? And it's a huge industry out there, or healthcare for that matter. Both great big industries, but somehow I just don't relate personally to them. So I'm, I see myself closer on the consumer side. Could be tech, right? But it has to be more B2C consumer oriented. And that's, I think, where I'm heading to now. Right. And do you think you stay on the investing side or do you start to get closer to the companies and maybe go operate a company? Gosh, you're asking a lot of tough questions today. Uh, <laughs> so I want to move, definitely want to move to the operation side of things. Um, after, so I moved from services to investing so I'm moving closer and closer to the actual decision-making people. Right. I, my next step is to be that person and to actually challenge myself and test my skills in that area, which for the past 30 minutes or so, I've been claiming that I love, right? Yeah. So but that requires taking a risk, starting something, going out. I don't know that MBAs are historically great risk takers. I think we're, as a bunch, risk averse. That's why we spent $200,000 getting an, uh, an education versus spending $200,000 and doing a startup. So how do you think about taking that risk? Yeah, so that's a good point. I, I don't know if I 100% agree on it, though. I think we are risk averse as a majority, but more and more since I've been to school, I see people straight out of MBA just pursuing entrepreneurship. Uh, you'll see different schools having shifted their focus to producing professional service services uh, professionals to producing 
entrepreneurs, right? Right. It's, de- it's definitely more common. You see that right now there's dozens, a few dozen people that are going to be entrepreneurs, but there's a few hundred people that will be, you know, bankers, consultants, that, that kind of thing. That's 100% right. But you also have to see what are the success case studies that schools are promoting, right? And what are the traits that they're looking for in people they admit these days? It's not so much do they conform to uh, XYZ profile? It's more, are they going to be able to make a change? Do they have a, sorry, first, let me backtrack. Do they have a passion? That's what they're looking at now, right? Okay, if they do have a passion, do they have a track record of executing on that passion? And are they actually nice human beings that are going to care about others, right? So those things, those three things, I think schools are focusing more and more on, and they're trying to get people younger too. So once you become older, you get constrained by life, by society, whatever it may be, right? But when you're younger, you're still more moldable. So I think schools are focusing on younger individuals that they can open their eyes the way that my eyes were open when I went to business school. But at the same time, they're flexible enough to go pursue more alternative paths than actually just getting a paycheck, paying down their loans and becoming rich quickly, right? Right. So no more hard questions. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get you out of here on this. You're a world traveler. You're going to Chicago tonight. Talk to us about a recent trip or a trip you have, you know, you're looking forward to something cool and exciting. So usually I try to take a big trip every year. It all started... I would say in business school. So in business school, you get the ability in terms of time. You have Most people have worked before, so they have some resources or you can access some loans and whatnot if you haven't. And you also get access to individuals from different places. So business school was my first immersion into going to a place for an extended period of time and getting acquainted with society in that place, right? So I was able to go to East Africa. I was in Kenya, Tanzania, Zanzibar. I went to Japan. I spent three weeks there. I, I went. I took people to Brazil, uh, although it's not my country. I had been there a lot as a kid, given my dad's work. So I took people down to Brazil. I've been to Europe a few times. Traveling with a group of like-minded individuals and actually exploring places was very different than my previous travel experience, uh, before banking, that is. I barely traveled when I was a, an investment banker in New York. But my previous travel experience with my family, right, which was more like going to a resort or uh, hanging out with my family with extended family and whatnot. But business school was the first time that I actually explored the world per se, right? And since then, I've been trying to take at least one trip a year that I go to a different place and I'm able to stay there for at least a week if I can or two weeks if possible given work, but actually get to know individuals, go off the beaten path and try to do different things, right? Because that also grows um, my personal life experience and gives me the ability to get to know different people. So extend that MBA experience in a way, right? Sure. So last year, I went to Turkey, which was amazing. I went to Cappadocia. I traveled around Turkey. I was able to spend a couple of weeks there, going driving throughout the coast, stopping wherever um, I wanted to stop. This year, I'm going to Thailand, which I've been before, but I'm not going to do the touristy spots. I'm going to go to Bangkok just for a few days, but then try to go to uh, beach resort towns, like driving distance from Bangkok. Sure. And just things like that. Uh, They don't have to be uh, Tahiti or go to Africa again, which are pretty expensive and far away, but it's just trying to go to different places. And do you still keep in touch with a lot of people from your from your business school class? I do. Uh, so in touch, I would say monthly, weekly, a handful of people. Yearly, I would say much more. But the surprise that I've experienced was that 
even if you haven't spoken to people in the five years, like I just went to my five-year reunion last May. If you haven't spoken to people in those five years, you'd be amazed and surprised by the way that people remember you, like the way that you acted with them when you were in school, by the way that you spoke in class, if you were respectful, if you traveled well with others. And people are very fond of each other, even if life just gets in the way and you're busy and you're not great at keeping in touch with individuals. Being back in reunion was amazing because I was able to catch up with individuals, like hear what they've been up to, keep learning from them, right? Keep learning from their experience. Um, people open up a lot more than they do when they're in school. So I think in school, most people try to put up a front because we're sort of competing against each other, trying to get jobs, trying to get at HBS at least, like all your course, all your grades are based on class participation. So you always want to be, you're one-upping each other in a way, right? But after school is done, like we all pursue different paths, right? It's like with your brothers, or at least I grew up with two brothers and you have one too, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're growing up with them, you're always competing in the same sports, you're competing in school. But once life just evolves and you pursue different paths, like you're able to bond in a way that you had a shared life experience. But now you know each other, so you can be open with each other. You can tell each other your successes, your failures, help each other, help connect individuals. I can just go in, like send an email to someone I haven't spoken to in four years. And they've been historically very helpful in terms of connecting you with people they know. They let you pick their brain and people are generally open to being helpful. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. Can't wait. Can't wait for that. (laughs) Andres, thanks so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening. If you liked it, you should subscribe. You can check us out on iTunes or on WallStreetOasis.com. And yeah, we'll be back soon with much more.